So I want to um, share the marvel I have and the sense of wonder and appreciation and and uh, and uh, kind of amazement that I walked up these steps to San Francisco Zen Center in 1975 with a little backpack and pink pants. <laughs> and, 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 and and hair down to here and uh, and now I'm sitting here with all of you who I have a lot of confidence for and it's a, a, amazing that you guys have the skill and the ability and the heart and the dedication to do what we've done so far we can find parse what you did and kind of Kind of, the, you know, you know, when you're all close, close in to the details, we can point out details about how it should be different or one way or the other. But it's just like mind blowing that this should even exist. That this is possible. That, that we're doing this kind of thing and teaching meditation and interested in it and and want to do it. It's just like it's kind of an amazing thing that that kid, you know, 1975 would have been in awe of all of you you know sneaked into and watched and seen what was going on and and um, so I have a lot of confidence in all of you I also have a lot of confidence in what I'm seeing evolving here during this retreat the way that uh, uh, we're all talking with each other and the, the way the feedback's going and the discussions and about what's happening and this gives me a lot of confidence that if this can keep going uh, that um you will all will all grow. Our whole scene will grow and develop. You will grow and develop as individuals, and also I think we'll get closer to each other. I hope. So uh, it was really, really satisfying for me to see how you guys are uh, also kind of talking about all this and sharing and responding. And so I just want to share that. It was really great to see that to see it. And. Um, and so we have just an open session now for an open discussion. And, um, and uh, I'm not trying for the fireside chat thing again. <laughs> uh, you were there. The, the, what I tried to do. I didn't hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I missed last night, but, but the one I tried to do, <laughs> that was the problem, right? Trying to do it. So, so anyway, this is an open discussion for you to bring up anything, that anything at all that you want to bring up um, about what we've done so far or about the teacher training or the Dharma. Or, I mean, uh, Andre and I are available now for just the doors open, like for anything. And it could be for us, it could be that it's a discussion the whole group has. has and, and, um, but I thought just, we, we just wanted to have an open session and see what came, out, came up. I'm partly I'm the inspiration or the request for this kind of session because it felt like it could have been useful and we have a couple planned in this retreat 
but you know, if this one is like you know a silence for thirty minutes, then we'll probably get rid of the other one. So, <laughs> make use of this one if you if you think this will be useful. Make use of it. It's on. Um, I I wanted to say something kind of in relation to the last uh, session, which also applies to yesterday afternoon's session, which is that 2 o'clock in the afternoon is a time in my circadian rhythm when um, I'm beginning to fade. And actually, 3 o'clock is kind of a bad time for me, but I'm doing okay right now. Um, and and so I think, you know, like uh, what I said about Dawn's introduction, and then it was, I was actually reminded of it by what Andrea said, which was, you know, she had the same sense. It was quite meditative, but she was able to stay with it. I wasn't. That, that has to do with uh, this. And then that, what that makes me think of is um, uh, often on the short retreats, you know, the four-day retreats that we do here, in the afternoon at 2 o'clock, we give instruction. And often it seems to me like, maybe it's not the best time. <laughs> you know, so I just something for us to think about, you know, in terms of uh, when we're uh, in, that, in that position of uh, organizing that kind of retreat. Or, or change how the instruction is done. Yeah. It could uh-huh. be energetically. Maybe it's not a meditation. And maybe, you know, I'm just talking spontaneously, wildly, it could be that you have everyone stand and then talk, do standing meditation and talk about mindfulness of something uh, and then sit down. And, and you talk, and, and teacher talks with a more energetic voice and, and uh, keeps people entertained even. Uh-huh. And then at some point uh, sits down. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a possibility. And usually what happens is it's about, on the second day, it will be about thinking. You know, there'll be mindfulness of thinking at that period and People are kind of, they're more dreaming than thinking, so it's kind of. Who was, who was? (laughs) (laughs) Tana! (laughs) Okay, you can sing, you know, harmony or. (laughs) Tana! Woo! (laughs) So, um, I wanted to say, I am so sad that I missed uh, Dawn and David and Kirsten because I had to be in a meeting, a Zoom meeting about a retreat that's coming up. And it didn't get recorded. So my apologies to you. Um, and I'd love to hear it another time in another form. <clears throat> and then just to share, you know, so much of this, we, Tanya and I were just discussing, we're getting to know each other still about, uh, you know, the process of feedback, the process of putting this together. Um, as a team, and um, <laughs> everything is contextual, like Shelley saying at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock she's fading. You know, I came into this retreat feeling very burned out uh, in a lot of ways, and I'm um, aware that when I received my feedback yesterday, for 25 minutes it was fine, and then between 25 and 35 minutes it was no longer fine. It, it was very difficult for me to metabolize that piece and then I learned that for me um, I need maybe you know I'll be honest I was left thinking 
oh, I, I don't belong teaching at all. I should leave. Um, and some of it is just, it was the burnout, but it was also that um, it was so helpful to me later when a couple people made a comment like, well, you know, this was useful to me, like about your tone of voice or this was useful. That, you know, knowing some specifics. So I shared with Tanya when she said, you know, your, your voice was coming from about here up. I was like, wow, that's not my experience. I felt grounded. I felt relaxed. So I don't know what that is. I don't know whether that there is something I need to learn about my voice or, you know, whether... So I I would have... You know, I'm not sure she can give me more than that, but that kind of thing, I'm learning about myself. I want more detail. Or uh, Francisco, when Andrea said that instruction of relax and, um, you know, see what comes up wouldn't have worked for you. That was so short for me. I just felt like it just wouldn't work for me. And I needed more detail about what would have worked for you. But that's why we're, I mean, this is nice to be able to have further dialogue with one another about this. And also for myself to have time to metabolize what I have difficulty, you know, where I hit a hindrance. So thank you. Can I respond? Sure. Just, because uh, it's in part in response directly to what you've said, but um, what I wanted to talk about as well, which is this process of um, responding to each other. And I said in the hall, I feel like it, it, it creates a lot of vulnerability for me personally. And those thoughts that you had after getting the feedback, I had after giving the feedback, right? So witnessing kind of the internal system's response to, to taking these risks, um, I think it's important for me to be able to kind of, you know, circle back around with each other. And I also, for me, I think one of the things that is um, I would want to invite in terms of permission is that we offer, like, uh, it didn't work for you at all, but we offer, you know, for me, it was like, I don't know if this is me or you, Liz, when I said, I feel your voice, like, here. Like, I, I don't know if that's me or you. So, like, and I think um, that's how we find each other, maybe, in a way, or when when something resonates, it's helpful, and when it doesn't, it, it's like, okay, that's that can just be me, for me. But having those kinds of um, being able to do this right with each other and come back around is really, for me, really precious. Yeah. So I had already been in the queue. Um, oh. I guess you can hold it. <laughs> I really, really appreciate the exchange that that just happened, and also Shelley, what what you're saying and. It points to me to the real value in building this community and this cohort around honesty and authenticity and vulnerability and learning how each other, how we, how we're able to show up for each other and give each other what we need in order to build the capacity for this kind of communication just seems so critical. So... I'm grateful for the open session. Very grateful. Um, 
a little bit along the lines, David, if I may, I'm going to share a little bit of something you said. He said he'd never sat a beginner's retreat when we, he and Kirsten and I debriefed briefly on the back deck. And I realized that until um, Shelley said what she said just now in the circle about the second session, I thought that was artificially compressed. I thought we were actually representing different days with those sessions. We, I thought we were on day four because I've never sat a retreat that short, ever, I, I'm, or taught one or assisted one or anything. So my assumption in my entire way of being was that everybody was already in it. So um, I guess that's another learning for me is not to assume some of the forms introduced in the training are just artificial forms, that there are dimensions of this... Um, teaching lineage, I just don't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Don, thank you for naming that. I also was a little surprised when uh, Shelley mentioned it was, you know, morning and afternoon. I didn't realize that also. But I want to go back to what Liz was saying. Maybe this is a question posted to all of us or maybe the teachers who had more experience in teaching. I find myself navigating in, uh, uh, through the waves of being wary of teaching. So like there are different um, conditions for it. Could be, this is really hard. <laughs> uh, could be and that so much is going on. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing. And um, and it could also be um, uh, I, I guess that's just one example that came to my mind and I um, I am aware and that um, that comes and goes um, it's not that that it's there all the time but I welcome any reflections, perspectives about navigating uh, this journey of teaching. Thanks for putting that into the mix um, about navigating because I am struggling with that um, and um, yeah sometimes it's uh, amazing when the teaching is happening because it all comes together and that's what all of this work and study and practice has been about and um, so the navigating is a place I'm crossing right now how to keep keep navigating and uh, I think I'm making some big decisions about it um, around it and uh, it boils down to the less is more uh, I think less is more for me at this point I don't know how Gil does it um, <laughs> but for me it, I think it's going to have to be less is more uh, for a little while because I have uh, a a deeper new interest in really long practice 
and uh, I feel that that's what's really calling me big time. And to you, Liz, I'm so sorry. Uh, I thought that it was, um, I, th- I thought it was writing a wave of comments, and I thought it was understood um, that that was referring to my own trauma um, in the relax doesn't work, um, and that it's a historical comment way beyond just you're making the comment that whenever I heard even Gil um, for years <laughs> say relax your shoulders like shut up <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> it wasn't personal to you because <laughs> <Tense up. laughs> <laughs> that's what would happen that's what would happen uh, whenever I tried to relax I would tense up and anywhere, anytime, for a long, long time. And um, so it was, I thought I was in reference to other comments in the room. But uh, thank you for letting me know because, uh, yeah, it's good to give details. And um, it, it, it's helpful. It, it's always helpful to give details anyway. So that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you. And we wouldn't, I wouldn't know it until that time. And like I said, it was like a, I just hit the point of I was so burned out that I was like, okay, 25 minutes of input, I can take 26, not so much. (laughs) And, you know, same with Tanya's comment. Like, I'm still, I'm still willing to store that away and go, okay, is my, does my voice come from, you know, where does it come from and does it need deepening? So I'm, I'm, you know, I can both take those in and also hit a hindrance and go, Ouch, <laughs> you know. And David's been waiting forever, um, very patiently. Patient, perhaps, uh, but really, um, I, I, I had a completely different uh, kind of set of things to to go off into, given an open session, and they. But I, so I don't want to, you know, shorten or curtail this. I, I just want to respond a little bit to this thread oh. briefly, and then <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, David. <laughs> Thank you so much for your graciousness. Um, I, I I just want to um, explicitly open to the group, given what the topic of conversation has been. Um, that we consider taking the last part of the feedback session to do just a little bit of this metabolizing and consider making that a form. And this is a question, a suggestion. It's by no means fiat. Um, But for example, by the time the feedback session was over yesterday with Liz and Francisco and um, Lynchy, I had already um, realized there were... um, very positive things I'd wanted to say that I didn't have a chance to say and it felt awkward or impossible to even bring those in and um, lived with regret for almost 24 hours before I was able to circle back to everyone. So um, so just um, to plant that seed as a possibility. For us. Is this it's all the same topic. Testing your patience, David. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On this theme of feedback, 
something that's coming up for me is um, kind of my ideal of the perfect Dharma teacher and how the perfect Dharma teacher receives feedback and then how I actually feel, um, which doesn't always match my ideal of what the perfect Dharma teacher would do. And so um, what my... Um, my in my set of values, receiving feedback is strongly valued, and I know it's a great thing. And uh, when I'm really well resourced and balanced, um, and feel a sense of confidence, uh, feedback can come in, and I can be like, "Yeah, that's awesome! I'm so glad you told me that you don't like X, Y, or Z about me. That's really great information." Um, and then. I can think of times where somebody at Zen Center gave me some feedback and I said, thank you. And then I closed the door and I cried. Um, and so uh, what actually arises is not always aligned with uh, what my ideal is. And I bring this up because I so appreciate your share, Liz, um, because everybody's doing such a beautiful job of receiving feedback non-defensively. Um, and uh, it doesn't always mean it feels good when it lands. Uh, so I just, I, I appreciate you making room for a fuller spectrum of response to that rather than just like, hey, thanks. <laughs> awesome. Um, high five. Uh, so, uh, and so another, another feedback related uh, comment. Um, oh, let's see. Might have just floated off. I think it'll come back. Oh, is just these these sessions of the you know we're giving feedback on how to lead these guided meditations and give a little dharmed and answer questions, and so we're yeah we're practicing how to how to. Um, teach the Dharma, but we're, of course, also practicing giving and receiving feedback. And that's such a, an incredibly valuable thing to do. And I had used the term non-defensively, and I think that's something I really wanted to highlight from all of the sessions so far is um, how graciously each team has received feedback at the end. Um, uh, after, you know, some, some like very direct comments that I don't tend to hear in Dharma scenes very often. Dharma people tend to be nice, <laughs> and they don't always say, uh, offer anything critical. And so, uh, for especially for a group of people who will all be in up power roles, um, it's even more important to be able to, for somebody in a down power role to give somebody in an up power role feedback is. Um, inherently risky because often there's um the person in the up power role has some um uh ability to affect the life of the student you know if it's a teacher and a student in a school system that teacher can fail the student if uh they didn't like the feedback they got for example uh so uh, it makes it that much more important as people in up power roles that we're able to receive the feedback in a way that doesn't um, uh, compromise the student, that we can receive it in a way that's gracious, non-defensive, um, kind of t really taking it in. Um, and then also that ha that really applies in DEIA issues also. If somebody, um, if 
uh, we're white-bodied, and a BIPOC person gives us feedback to be able to respond non-defensively. Um, or an able-bodied person receiving feedback from somebody who has disabilities to be able to receive that non-defensively. So uh, I just wanted to bring in that um, that just that that last half hour of these sessions is such a tremendous practice in and of itself and that it's really growing what I think are incredibly important tools for Dharma teachers to be able to exercise. Thanks. David, you ready? You know, I don't want to take a, a, a U-turn or left turn or right turn if, if, uh, if it's not the right place. Um, this I mentioned this yesterday or the day before, can't remember, just that I had a question that I've had for a long time um, and I haven't wanted to bother Andre and Gil, you know, it, an open session hasn't arisen and here it is. Um, but it's related to, and I don't want it to be a question just to Gil and Andre actually, there may be others who, who know more about this, um, but curiosity has been there about the um, working with the emotions instructions or, or you know, um, constellation of techniques. Just curious where they come from. Um, you know, I'm just not aware of sort of, um, I mean, they, they w- within our the classic texts, we rely on the Satipatthana Sutta, the Anapanasati Sutta, or within classic sort of, you know, teaching frames of, dependent arising or five aggregates or what have you there aren't there isn't sort of so I assume it's kind of oral tradition and it's a teaching thing and I'm just curious where things like raft or rain or Ronnie you know those kinds of approaches come from from working with emotions or working with thoughts or um, you know there are there are a lot of others that come up in that kind of space between body and mind and you know I'm not sure and that's one of the reasons I hesitate to ask it is I'm interested don't know if it makes us better teachers to know I'm just kind of curious when those entered the scene and sort of whence they came and, you know, do they come from, you know, therapy? This is where, like, Liz or Tanya might have some insights or do they, you know, do they just kind of... Anyway, and I named a couple. There's probably a bunch more. I named RAFT or RAIN. Or they, there were various acronyms for that same kind of approach. Or um, Tanya has an answer for you for some of it. No. About raft. Okay. Well, yes, a very ancient tradition. Yes. Uh, well, there's there's been more than one rendition of raft, as far as my experience with rafting goes. But um, so you know. Okay, well, I was going to first mention RAIN, which is an acronym that stands for recognize. So it's a practice for working with emotions in particular, right? Uh, to walk, uh, help somebody walk through. Um, and who's, there's, Tara Brock has really used it, but it's Michelle McDonald who started it. That's what I was looking for. What's her name? Because I know it from Tara. But, um, Oh, she's still popularizing it. She's really, uh, yeah. Um, so recognize, accept, or and allow. Um, investigate is the I. And it used to be initially not self was the N, not non-identification. 
Uh, that must be Michelle's version. And then Tara's became uh, um, Nurture's, her current version. And the I investigation has been investigate with intimacy is added. So, um, and so when I was practicing with that as a person working with uh, emotions in my early days of practice, which I no longer have emotions. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I just didn't, it didn't feel, uh, it didn't fully work for me. Um, and there was just, uh, it was so conceptual, the non-identification, and it didn't feel um, like my experience of the full practice, right? So I, I spent a lot of time thinking and thinking and came up with raft, recognize, accept and allow, find and feel, and trust. Because for me, I ended, my practice always, when it was in a good space, ended in a sense of this trust, like the sense of openness. So, uh, I, you know, I had shared it. Shelly took a copy and used it in her sangha. Liz used it. I think it was you, Liz, at some point. I think we used it in the hindrances, in the hindrances class. Diana. Diana. Um, and but then, but at some point, <laughs> so and I had written it on my website or whatever. But at some point, Kill introduced, which I did. I did tell him about my practice. <laughs> I had I, I brought my folder with all my notes and all the, like, factors that were being activated and the different, you know. But Gil came up with this fantastic version of Raft, which was recognize uh, more of the accept than the allow, emphasizing that it's not always easy to... Uh, or more the allow than the accept, because it's easier to allow than necessarily accept, and it feels like an endorsement. The feeling, so feeling the emotions in the body, and then the teasing apart, So, which is so great, right? Teasing the emotion apart from the thoughts. And to me, actually, I think you can just really, te you can do a lot of teasing apart, untangling. So sometimes I say it's raft double T. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's the history of Raft. And so I don't know. My, my version was probably 10 years ago. And Gil's was maybe eight, maybe, maybe less. So. So if we use Raft, who do we give credit to? No. Yeah. This actually came up at lunchtime with May, you know, kind of um, we were talking about the instructions on emotions and, and, um, and how did it, how did it come up, May? I mean, you said, you said something like, do you remember? Yeah, I had a similar question to David is I, I shared that it's new for me. Like I, I hadn't really put together the dots that in uh, our westernized Vipassana or westernized Mahasi specifically, westernized Mahasi instruction that emotion isn't really part of the original and that's the Western add-on. And I, I asked where did that Western add-on come from and what, because for example, uh, in Joseph, or excuse me, in uh, Guy's Western, westernized uh, Mahasi instructions, he mentions that emotions, if you have enough time in a retreat, you might do the five hindrances one day other 
emotions another day. Wholesome states. Whole other wholesome yes. states, right, exactly, maybe the awakening factors. And I thought, well, you know, the hindrances are certainly part of the teachings. That's, you know, part of the fourth foundation. But so what part is the Western part and where did it come from? And and in thinking about that, I, I thought, well, it's really kind of the, the, the piece I highlighted or, or landed on is when you're having an emotion, feel it in your body. It's like, that is not in the text, as far as I know, you know, that, that, that piece. And I don't know where that came from. I don't know who first, like, said that or, I mean, but it is so much a part of our tradition. We think it's in the Pali Canon. <laughs> so, you know, but, but what's in the Pali Canon around uh, hindrances is often, you know, recognizing them, the, the Satipatthana, you know, recognize them. So just that, like note it, like Mahasi says. I mean, Mahasi's instructions around the hindrances is, you know, sense desires arising, arising you note, sense desire, sense desire. But not the instruction to how does it feel in the body. Um, so, so, you know, there's that simple piece. And then there's also, with hindrances, working with the antidotes. But, you know, not so much the support for being with the hindrance by turning to the body. And, and maybe, Gil, you know where this started. Do you have any idea? Not, not more than what I suggested at the beginning, that uh, it might have come from something like gestalt therapy. I think that there were some of the humanistic psychology movements that were very body-focused and still are, and that uh, Jack was uh, studying those and very much involved with them. And Jack recognized how much he was out of touch with his body, so he was definitely uh, doing all kinds of body uh, practices to get into his body. And uh, and Robert Hall, Robert Hall started a whole school of, of uh, body-based psychotherapy uh, one of the first books that Jack told me to read uh, when I started teacher training was a book on uh, using the body in psychotherapy. So I think that, uh, uh, I think it's, my guess is it's very much uh, influenced by Western uh, s- psychotherapy. And, you know, there's this uh, woman, woman who wrote this book, this article, uh, what's her name, Glick? And yeah, Glick? Glick. And Glick. And she came up with this term, uh, tantric vipassana which is uh, kind of West Coast, Spirit Rock kind of Vipassana. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it's, what? And Glig. And I think maybe it was un- very unfortunate to use the word Tantra, uh, but I think it probably would be more accurate to call it uh, Gestalt Vipassana because it's a lot of the same principles of going into the material, going into it through the body, stepping towards something rather than stepping away and just being kind of distantly mindful. And I think that's a, uh, and then you know, Gestalt has a lot of other practices than that, but um, I suspect that the that Gestalt had a big influence on this. I hear so many people, you know, saying things like the Buddha taught being in your body, and he, the first foundation is that. But you know, if you look at those instructions, it's not what we mean. Because I think what we mean by by feeling the body is very much touching into the mind state body interweaving, and and that you know the the feeling in the body connected to how the mind is. And I think you know when Saito Upandita says, um, you know, watch your mind; it's in your chest. You know, he's he's talking about you know feeling it in the body, but he's talking about watching the mind. So I you know that I think that's just an interesting. Interesting reflection. 
I feel like this is related to the question about emotion moving into our scene. Another thread that I see is um, Peter and Andrea Levine's work on forgiveness. Um, and, you know, they're fairly early generation um, as well. So um, Jewish, Buddhist, hospice volunteers and workers who um, and early teachers who... Um, apparently brought that practice in as far as I can tell as far as anyone I know of can tell so not so much the somatic piece but the idea of incorporating something like grief So, um, uh, yes, yeah, Stephen Levine, uh, in some degree his wife, Andrea, but uh, Stephen Levine had a big influence in the 1970s. And Jack once explained to me that the emphasis on loving kindness uh, in our Vipassana scene came, th- came from Stephen Levine. He was the one who really introduced it. He was teaching with Jack and Joseph, I think, a little bit in the 70s. And so that was his big contribution to our scene. And... Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what other things he was introducing, but uh, going into grief and feeling it deeply, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a big impact. He also had a big impact. And the thing about forgiveness is I suspected for a long time. I, 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 don't, I don't know if you have proof or you heard me theorize about it before. I've heard you theorize, but yeah. I've also seen threads in his written work. But there's a, that, the, that the way that we do forgiveness meditation or forgiveness practice in our scene, I went to Yusil Ananda once, this Burmese monk, and I said, you know, we do this forgiveness thing. And he said, oh, yeah, I do it too. And I said, great, now I'm going to find out where the source is. Said, where, where, where is it from? Oh, I learned it from the Western teachers. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and I suspect it came from, uh, from, uh, from uh, Stephen Levine, who got it from Judaism. I think there's a, a, Jude, uh, a Jewish forgiveness kind of things that are similar. And... Um, and so it works very well for the Western psyche, the Western cultural psyche, because of the forgiveness thing. But uh, the whole forgiveness thing is a little bit foreign to Asian Buddhism. They do that, the monastics do that thing at the end of the year. Well, what, uh, what the uh, Ajahn Chah, English-speaking monks do, I'm not sure. But the, uh, the monastics do a confession ceremony. Uh, and, but... Uh, and they ask to be they ask to be acknowledged, or they ask. Um, uh, it's there's not really a uh, asking for forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is kind of a foreign idea. Thinking of, um, um, I heard a story. I think it was from Sharon, who said at the end of the retreat with Upandita in '84, in at IMS, that they did this kind of. Um, thing that seemed to be a monastic ritual of just like if there's anything that we've done that's harmed you um, it may be I don't know what exactly it was it might not have been asking for forgiveness but just something like acknowledging that and can we move on and or I don't know but there was something that that she mentioned about and and so Lianchi you've, you've seen this kind of thing Yes, in the monastic, we in every every moon day, 
everybody start to do the confession like like you said, and then in the end of the confession, like um, it does uh, asking for forgiveness and just like you just said. Yeah. So there is, yeah. Yes. But uh, and but and then the whole the whole community the whole sangha will make the decision like is if it's forgive like based on the sutra like this is how you can forgive like based on the sutra and this there's four of them that is unforgivable and they will ask you to leave. Yeah. Yes. That sutta is in Bhikkhu Bodhi's compilation on social and communal harmony, so there is reference for for that. Easily yeah. available. I don't remember the reference. In and the then there's Mahat. one time I heard, but I don't know how it was um, in one of the Dharma talk that um, in Buddha time, the the seven years old monk correct the the Buddha um, right-handed. Um, I mean the 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 second disciple of Buddha that um, your rope is not even. And he fixed it, and then asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it does. Thank you. I, I just wanted to briefly mention that um, may your question is a little bit more, a lot more subtle and complex than it might appear on the surface. Uh, a little bit of a topic for me in graduate school in Buddhist studies was Buddhist modernism, global Buddhist modernism, and. Um, as as this conversation suggests, the fluctuations back and forth, and Andrea talked about this, I can't remember if it was Andrea or Gil now in Sri Lanka, that it's like the practices got exported in certain waves and then got re-imported from the West or from other Asian traditions. I've talked to Chan monks who practiced in the Goenka and Pa'ak traditions in the Chan monasteries, like it's all flowing in all directions right now, so... Um, some of these might just end up being unknowable. <laughs> but I like, I like knowing that there is this flow, you know. It's like, to, 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 to like poke the idea, we, which we've been coming back to repeatedly, of there's no right thing that is Buddhism. Hearing this, what do you think? <laughs> and I, I've seen Kono has something to add, so I don't know yet. But no, this is very interesting, and I hope it's not just a, you know, sort of intellectual curiosity. I'm struck again that you know lots of people know this, and I, I just never sort of really come across it. It's a familiar pattern, you know, but it's just kind of useful to know. And you know, I'm actually familiar with Levine's work a little bit, but I hadn't kind of recognized that some of that thread. For me, I think it is useful to kind of know that in, you know, crafting responses, crafting approaches. So, all good so far. Kodo. This was a comment for earlier. Um, but in, in response, generally, I, I, I think, uh, to me, it's useful to know what the sources of the ideas are because then I, then I can sort of trace the development and contextualize the ideas or contextualize practices, and then I can be responsible for them. Um, I was going to mention before about the focus on the body and emotions in the body. I, I, I wonder about the influence of Goenka, because uh, that, that was certainly part of his teaching and 
Jack and Joseph and James all did a fair amount of Goenka practice. So I, it's it's in his Dharma talks. Yeah. I've worked with a bunch of people coming out of Goenka, coming to Spirit Rock, and they do not know how to work with emotions. They know how to be the body, but they don't connect that those two. Yeah. Are, we, yeah, are we out of time? You were looking. I set my watch. Oh, okay, great. This is another U-turn, only because you guys brought up the refrain and the definition, and. It's just an ongoing, nagging thing for me that um, the death content, there, there, there are, the refrain happens the most of all in the whole Satipatthana around the death contemplation, which is to me such an emphasis on how important that is, yet we don't teach that. Um, how could we approach that? Um, well, why don't we teach that? I mean, I know why don't we teach that, why we don't teach that, but um, why has that not come in, and except in small little doses? Gil. <laughs> I think it, uh, there's a context for the, where it's useful to do that. I've done uh, workshops or death and dying workshops that I've taught where I've done things like this and and um, <clears throat> and uh, and it was very useful for people in those workshops for people who came for that purpose but uh, to bring that up here at a seven day retreat for example a lot of beginners uh, they're not coming for that some of them would be uh, deeply troubled we don't know they just might have left their loved one who just died and they're grieving, and to have that brought up might be very disturbing for them for all kinds of reasons. And um, and it kind of it kind of brings in a whole conceptual level. It involves using the imagination. So if we're trying to, it's hard enough to get people to stop thinking, <laughs> and to settle down and get really kind of a little bit more concentrated. So to bring it to bring that into the retreat on top of it makes it much more complicated. And there's something very clean and nice about this, a simple kind of uh, process of practice we stay kind of close to. Do you want to add something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, those particular practices, the reflective practices, I also look at the 32 body parts as a reflective practice. Um the death contemplations is reflective practice. And again, it's kind of like, again, in our scene, in what has become the the mindfulness, you know, Western mindfulness tradition, the Vipassana tradition, we emphasize, as Gil was pointing to, you know, we emphasize being with experience in the present moment and not, you know, using thought so much as the meditation. Um, I think there's a place for it in our wider community to, to teach reflection, to teach reflective practice. And I do that, not, not necessarily around 32 parts of the body, but bringing in how to connect the content of our thoughts with how we are, you know, so, so really bringing in a, um, 
um, what what happens with thought and uh, and and how we are. So I kind of bridge those two a little bit: um, the the reflective practice and the um, here and now practice. And I find it it's incredibly useful to to talk about reflective pra- practice because people tend to think meditation means I stop thinking. It, you know, thinking is outside of the the realm of the picture, and you know, the Buddha clearly brought in reflection in in the Satipatthana Sutta, and um, you know, in various places, it, it's you know, like like even even the instruction, um, one uh, sees things um, as impermanent, as unreliable. You know, we see experience as not me, not mine, not who I am. Those are in quotes. They're like use it as a reflection. Bring in those. Those wisdom thoughts. Not always is it is it talked about as a um, as an insight, but it's also talked about to bring it actually in as a thought. And so um, we don't talk about that too much. You know, the use of thoughts as a part of the practice. Um, um, I I do that a little bit more in the Tejaniya style practice because Sayadaw talks about using wisdom reflections and asking questions as investigation, so it brings in more of the reflective component. Um, and then more in the daily life realm, I bring in reflection and talk more about the Buddha's use of reflection. So, But it's kind of like, like what, what Gil was saying, the expectation of the retreat setting. You know, what we have constructed, what we've built... Um, it, it doesn't quite seem to fit in that container. Unless, as like Bhante Buddha sometimes does, he'll teach a Maranasati retreat. Or, or Bob Stahl will teach a 32 parts of the body retreat, and then people know coming in that, that that's kind of what they're, do, what they're getting. Yeah. This is topical to the question. Um, probably a year and a half ago, actually it was just prior to COVID, I taught a small loving-kindness retreat for a community, mostly Jewish, but Buddhist crossover community. And um, in practice discussion with one of these people, a spiritual director in her own right, I might add, she um, expressed to me very deep anger because she had gone to an insight meditation event with her, I think it was like nephew or something, that was unannounced and then um, it was a Marana Sati Dharma talk and guided meditation and her nephew was suicidal and it was a problem in the family he did not kill himself but it did not do good things for him so I would suggest that that might be another reason there's caution around how and when we offer these practices because we just don't know how it's going to land given a person's um, current mental state yeah, there's that great story in the suttas, right? Of the Buddha giving the instructions on. It was, was it the, the, it was either the foulness of the, the body, yeah, the, yeah the, the the 32 parts of the body contemplation, and he goes off into retreat and comes out of retreat, and half the people have killed themselves, and Ananda's response is. Venerable sir, might it be useful to teach them mindfulness of breathing? <laughs> So there's there's even that story in the suttas, which I, I love that that's in the suttas because it really helps me to understand. It, it, it gives me some confidence that what was been transmitted is actually maybe some things that happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to end, we, we no, we'll end, but maybe what I say will be evocative. So maybe yeah, I see. 
So I have two things I want to say. Uh, one is that, uh, in following up on David's question about emotions, um, uh, we ha- we we've divided up our human experience here in the West with emotions as being a central piece. And uh, one of the interesting ways of looking at the Satipatthana is that it's dividing up to all all our human experiences included. It's, nothing's being excluded, but it just divides it up in a different way. So it lo- looks at it from a different perspective and and uh, just maybe just as valid. But it sometimes it's even more interesting because it breaks the hegemony of the of the way we're looking at it now, which is uh, you know we don't realize how much it's culturally conditioned. Uh, all kinds of things that we think are innate to, you know, our human life. And then the other thing I want to, I was waiting for a chance to talk, to respond or say more to about uh, what Liz brought up before, about, ten, she, you know, feeling that she should give up teaching and, you know, that she's not cut out for it. And that is that um, uh, uh, this is the ideal place for you to have those feelings here. Uh, because uh, when people, when, uh, a lot of teachers, including me, uh, get really vulnerable. Even teachers who've been teaching for a long time get really vulnerable, uh, giving dharma talks, and they some of them leave with those feelings. And it takes a couple of days for some of them to recover, even because they, oh, I failed, and this was terrible, or whatever. And um, and it's a very vulnerable, producing place to be in in uh, giving these talks and. I still sometimes leave Dharma talk feeling very, very open and kind of vulnerable, and um, and so the feeling of failing is common enough thing to do. But if you're teaching, it's very hard to have anyone to talk to about it, and it's harder to feel like it was okay. And uh, but you know, if you're going to fail, please fail here. <laughs> and uh, I hope this is a safe place to fail. And. Um, and uh, and then and then and what you did what you did was perfect to bring it up and talk about it. But that was modeling something fantastic for all of us that you just explained it. And um, it's maybe one of the one of the best things happened here so far that you did that. So um, so uh, 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 and learning to do that and this is really fantastic. And sometimes when people come, I don't know if I've done it for any of you, but I've done it for other people when they come to IRC to teach. I tell them this is a safe place to fail, for Dharma teachers to fail, and it's maybe even safer if we say it explicitly. But I would like this to be a place where it's safe to bomb, um, because we're you know we put so much we put so much uh, at stake at these talks. Like this is like the be all and end all, and and um, one of the things I learned at Zen Center, a, a talk is just a ritual. You know, there's all, it's all these practices we do, and someone gets tapped, and it's your turn to do the ritual, and and um, and so they do it. But the whole Zen center and people's stuff doesn't all depend on that Dharma talk. It's just the the the, the it just goes on and on the practice. So so to not put too much, you know, emphasis on you know how important these Dharma talks are, and to be willing to fail and learn from that and. Hopefully, you're teaching with people who are willing to make space for that. And I think, it, you know, sharing feelings like that is probably healthy. Though maybe not all teachers can handle it if you tell them <clears throat> that I know. <laughs> they might not be wise about it, but <clears throat> but I'm hoping that we can include it. And, you know, it was perfect earlier today. What Was it David or Kim whose group said, 
come on, you know, people are not riding and falling on our Dharma talks. They're actually, there's a whole thing going on in them that they may not even hear a lot of your Dharma talk. So thank you to whichever group came up with that. I also wanted to acknowledge, um, to just recognize and see that Ying had asked a question that didn't really get met. Um, and it feels a little bit like this touches back into that question. And, um, you know, I think I just wanted to to say I, I think that's that's something that the question was around navigating this process of being in teacher training. And I, I sense some emotion in there in the question and how hard it can be to navigate this process. And I find um, maybe uh, um, May and Francisco might have a little bit of this feeling and Dawn also too, having just set the month, the month long. I find often when you're in that assistant role, it really, it, it comes up, this, this, this sense of, how am I in here? How do I navigate this? Or being on a long retreat for the first time it, after you've come into the teacher training, oh my gosh, it's like, you know, that was my experience too. It's like something about being a teacher, a new teacher in teacher training and being on retreat again. I feel like I'm being judged and evaluated by the teachers, you know, or something. So there's, there's so much that goes on. And I think I just want to name that because we do have to stop here and, and just point to this is, this is part of the process of of going through this teacher training to to navigate that and this is talk to your fellow teachers about it you know don't keep it quiet you know that that's what I did I I mean I I went for so many walks with Greg you know during the teacher training around oh my god this is this is awful <laughs> so so use use each other and I just want to normalize it a little bit and we can we can you know, this can be another topic that we we meet because I think it is it's a it's a useful topic, and I just wanted to c- touch back into to your question. Yeah. And now we are at time. <laughs> As of a few days ago, I think it was supposed to rain a little bit on Wednesday potentially. I, I haven't seen I haven't seen the weather since then, but maybe we should put the, you know the chairs away nicely, and we'll meet back up in the hall. At, at seven. No, we should definitely take everything in anyway for yeah. overnight. Yeah. Um, but say something about the seven o'clock session. Oh, we're not oh yeah. So we what? Yeah. 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 We're seven o'clock in the meditation hall.